Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Jason Less, professional poker player, computer programmer, and CEO of Riot Blockchain. We talk about his journey to become CEO, the similarities between poker and Bitcoin, and the mining industry. Jason also tells us how a non-traditional path is normal for his company, what's required to be successful in any endeavor, and why Bitcoin mining is great for poorer communities. I first met Jason at a Bitcoin conference in 2017. Since then, he's taken my programming Bitcoin course, transitioned from being a poker player to a CEO, and has led the charge to bring a lot more hash power to the United States. As you'll see in this interview, Jason is a very technical, thoughtful, and hardworking person who really wants to do good for Bitcoin. Enjoy this interview. Jason Les, how's everything going, man? Very good. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. You're like out in California, right? Like, how are things over there? Yeah, I'm in Orange County, California. The weather is great. The taxes are high. Everything costs a lot, but... This is the, where I'm basically born and raised. <laughs> and are things still kind of locked down there? I, I'm always kind of curious, like how things are going, because, you know, I mean, people keep getting locked back down or there are new regulations or something like that. I think we're basically 100% normal here. I think you still have to technically wear a mask in like Uber and Lyft. But besides that, like I think everything is open and basically normal. Besides kind of the broader market-wide conditions that are kind of still percolating through the whole industry, all the industries as a result of, you know, supply constraints and stuff, it's still a lot of stuff seems to be sold out here and there, especially electronics, like laptops suddenly take three weeks to get here. I don't, I don't really know what's Mm. probably because all the foundries are pumping out Bitcoin mining chips, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> or, or chips for cars like yeah, that. there's a cars. car shortage too yeah it's kind of crazy so i i wanted to talk to you about this because like you have like one of the most interesting journeys in bitcoin and you've done a lot of different things in your life so and you're currently ceo of riot blockchain which is a pro- publicly traded company so tell us the story of how you got to be there because it is not a journey that I ever would have expected <laughs> like anyone to take to become CEO. Sure. So I'm going to take it all the way back to the beginning here. Mm-hmm. B- beginning of my story, I should say. I've been in- interested in computer science my whole life. Like From a very mm-hmm. young age, I was interested in using computers, fixing computers, programming, web design, all sorts of stuff You know, before I could even legally work. And I basically knew my whole life I wanted to be involved with computer science. I didn't know exactly what, you know, probably software engineering, but I just knew like that was the path for me from a very young age. And I knew what school I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to UC Irvine, a local school. They had a great computer science program. So just my whole life, you know, my my plan was basically laid out. And Mm -hmm. as soon as I got to college, right off the bat, I discovered poker. Specifically, internet <laughs> poker. I know. <laughs> you know. It's really started taking off in 2003 and 2004 for a number of reasons. You know, they started covering it on TV, on ESPN in a more exciting way. There were some interesting characters that were doing well. Uh, popularity of internet poker had been taking off. So a lot of people were just very interested in poker at that time. And it kind of blew me away that I, I was like, this is just this game. 
And as long as I can play this game better than the other people at the table, because poker is not a game against the house, like blackjack or roulette, these type of, types of things. You're just playing a, a strategy game against other people at the table. It was so intriguing to me that if I was just better at the game than the other, uh, my opponents, I could make money. And that is what started to consume a lot of my focus and time. And, you know, there were some overlaps in studying computer science. You'd learn a lot about probabilities, statistics, uh, game theory. And I started to see how this type of stuff that I kind of had this natural ability at, I could apply to poker and do very well. So that set off that portion of my life, which was a very challenging struggle of trying to complete a degree while being consumed to playing poker all the time, because it's really, I mean, I just sit at a computer, log on and make money. Like that, mm. it's very difficult <laughs> to walk away from to go finish school. So mm. I did both for a long time. And I shouldn't say a long time for a few years. And I eventually was like, you know, I just need to get, I need to get done with school and just free myself up to play poker. And I graduated early in 2010. And then I was free to just pursue poker a hundred percent full time now, nothing encumbering me. And it was actually kind of funny. And I'm just thinking back about that time. I was so excited to be done with school and to be able to play poker full time. And the very first day I played after graduating was one of my biggest losing days ever at that time. <laughs> like, oh no, <laughs> this, is not, this, this can't be a good sign, but it's okay because that sign didn't mean anything. Career continued to go on and on. And it was funny. So this is actually around the time period I first started hearing about Bitcoin. In 2011, the Justice Department took action and essentially shut down the major poker sites that were serving U.S. residents at the time. Mm. And I remember reading the forums, the online poker forums, after it happened. And these guys were like, why don't we just use Bitcoin to move money around instead? It's not illegal to play internet poker, but they get down on the money processors for depositing funds to poker sites or other gambling sites because it's like kind of a gray area at this time, at least, of whether or not poker was classified as illegal gambling or not from an mm-hmm. operator's perspective. And I started hearing people talk about Bitcoin then, and it really grew in the internet poker community pretty quickly. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people heard about it. We're trying to buy it, but it wasn't really even just an investment idea. It was just a better tool for moving money around. So it was always interesting to me back then, you know, the years following that. You hear people talk about Bitcoin. Oh, you know, maybe it's going to have value one day because people are going to use it to move money around. And from my perspective, it was we're already, I mean, in this internet poker community, everyone's using, not everyone, but a lot of people are using Bitcoin already. It's just a better way to move money around. When you owe money to someone or you want to buy something from someone, you want to you know, maybe take a piece of someone's action in a poker game, it's way easier just to use Bitcoin than to be messing around with wires all over the place. So mm. that kind of started my parallel interest in Bitcoin that just kind of grew over time as I was seeing more and more people working on it, using it, talking about it. And I, I saw the project becoming more and more mainstream. I remember in like the middle, or I think it was like August 2013 when Silk Road got shut down. Mm. And it was kind of like a defining moment for me. It's a little counterintuitive, but what, what happened for me is when I saw Silk Road get shut down, my initial reaction was, oh, 
this is probably it for Bitcoin. Like this was a major kind of marketplace. This was driving a lot of interest. And without this, you know, Bitcoin's not really going to take off. People still use it, but it's not going to take off any big if these applications are getting shut down. And then that didn't happen. And I recognize that right off the bat. Like after just, you know, a month or so, I noticed, wow, Bitcoin is actually not affected by this whatsoever. And that was like a really, I think, bullish turning point for me when I really started to get consumed with like, wow, this thing is really going to be, you know, using sailor's terminology, a swarm of cyber hornets that are, you know, consuming everything around it. As you probably remember, late 2013 is when that bull market was taking place. So I had a little trouble getting my foot in the door to start buying some Bitcoin because I was just, you know, first psyched out by the price. But I got in there and I started using Bitcoin, you know, more and more. I was using Bitcoin to send money to people. I was using Bitcoin to deposit on and off poker sites that I was playing on back then. And I guess as time progressed, my poker career was going you know, great. I started working with, you know, our mutual friend, Doug Polk, I knew for a long time. And then he started coaching and staking me in poker and learned a lot working with him. And I became, I I believe was a a top player uh, over that time period. And so while poker was going well, as time wore on, I could not focus on poker anymore because I was so interested in Bitcoin. I'd have like (laughs) eight tables going on one screen and then I'd be like reading on about, you know, at the time, like the, the block size debates going on and on another screen. And that that is not an optimal way to play poker whatsoever. You, <laughs> need, you need focus. You can't be reading one thing and just randomly clicking around high stakes on your other screen like it's the second order of focus. So that was really, that really got me interested. Like the whole block size debate really forced me to learn a lot about how Bitcoin worked because I, I just wanted to be informed on what these arguments were. And through doing that, I started to immediately kind of get interested in mining. I was more so focused on GPU mining in the first because that was kind of the easiest thing that I could get my hands on. And I just, Mm. I wasn't really expecting to make a lot of money. I was like, this just sounds cool. I want to do this. I want to buy a bunch of GPUs. I want to buy you know, a bunch of GPU risers, set up these rigs, learn how to do all the power and get this kind of going for myself. And that was a really cool learning experience for me. And I got really started building my understanding around the mining industry and how the whole mining component of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies worked. And mm. as I started doing that, then I started getting interested in getting back into software development. But, but before mm. I started getting back into software development, it was kind of like the towards the end of 2017 when a friend of mine who I had known from poker reached out and said, hey, we're starting this company, Riot Blockchain, NASDAQ traded company. You know, I know you're involved with Bitcoin. Would you be interested in being in the advisory board? And I said, sure, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. I'd love to give my perspective. And at this time, it was still... SegWit had been activated, but we were still staring down the potential attack of SegWit2x. So I really liked the idea of having being, having some sort of influence over a big Bitcoin company that could start doing the right thing. Because you, as you remember at that time, it was mm. kind of a battle of, okay, who's signaling what? And mm. I really wanted to be involved with a company that, that I thought could influence the right the right type of influence on Bitcoin when we're talking about these type of protocol 
that's the wrong one. I shouldn't say influence on Bitcoin. I wanted to have a company supportive of these upgrades that were going on in Bitcoin and not a hindrance like some of the more adversarial companies were acting like. Mm -hmm. And so I started off on the advisory board and then I was asked to join the board of directors soon thereafter. And Mm -hmm. that started the, about, you know, my next three years of being on the board of directors, which was a pretty incredible experience. Bitcoin Mm -hmm. went through a bear market right after that. And that caused Riot to go through a depressed time in its stock price as well. And the company went through a really big transformation period. And through that transformation period, at the beginning, Riot was focused on for mining right off the bat, but also had some investments in the space, was looking at launching an exchange. And through the transformation, what we kind of decided as a team, the board and the management team was, let's just focus on the one thing that we're best at, mining. We're good at mining, Mm -hmm. and that's the best tool for us to get exposure to Bitcoin. Let's focus everything in on that. And that's what we did. We started raising money, started putting that into buying miners and building out our mining operations. And as we grew and grew here, as a company started growing in size, of course, Bitcoin has been going up quite a bit over the past 12 months, but Riot's operations have grown quite a bit. And I was from the board at that time, you know, involved with uh, trying to, to drive this along. The company got to the point where I was both the board and the management team offered me the position of chief executive officer. Our CFO at the time had been filling both roles. He was the CEO and the CFO, uh, historically had been a CFO. So it made sense to obviously separate those roles and have uh, someone fill the CEO position. And given my experience with Bitcoin, that's how I ended up there. That's that's the 15, 10, 15 minute abridged plus <laughs> biography there. Wow. So the thing that's crazy to me about this story and this sort of thing I think happens all over Bitcoin is that you did not take the traditional path. Usually, if you're the CEO of a company, you graduated from a top five business school. Mm-hmm. You know, you went down the management track for some big company or something like that. Maybe you started your own, raised some money from Silicon Valley investors, and then grew your own company and then are able to be CEO that way. But those are your two traditional tracks to becoming CEO, top five business school or you know going and starting your own company in Silicon Valley and getting sort of the approval of the VCs. You seem to have found a completely different path. Like you were a poker player. Well, you took a while to graduate college because you're making money playing poker. You get into being a, a professional poker player. Then you go and, you know, you get interested in Bitcoin and fortuitously get on, get to be an advisor to this company. And then you work yourself into the board of directors and then you become CEO. That is not a path that I've heard from anybody. So like, what is it about either the company or your circumstances that kind of put you on this path? Because it's very interesting to me that you were able to find this third way. Yeah, very unusual path. And, you know, I'm not going to take credit and act like this was some thing I was focused on doing. And because of all, you know, because of that focus on becoming CEO, I became CEO. You know, life just has a way of working it out. I've been very lucky and fortunate in different ways, this being one of them. So Mm -hmm. I think the answer kind of lies in the other part of your question is how Riot is kind of put together. And I Mm -hmm. I think we have a culture of people, a, a team of people that are very committed 
to what we're building here. It's not, you know, a me focused organization. It's a very we focused organization. Everyone sees the opportunity in Bitcoin. They see how mining Bitcoin helps unlock that for us. And they see the company's potential to grow and capture a lot of that opportunity. So Mm. we have a whole collection, I think, of unlikely backgrounds, to be honest. Our CFO is an incredibly experienced chief financial officer. He has been involved for decades in this space. He's been a CFO for almost 20 years. He he took the previous predecessor entities to riot public. So very experienced, but he's not, you know, his background isn't in Bitcoin, it's in finance, but he saw the opportunity here and he wanted to stay in and be a part of what was going on. So there you have someone, you know, not a Bitcoiner, but someone from a finance background, finance expertise, accounting expertise that wanted to be involved with Bitcoin. You look at our chief operating officer. She's a very similar, like she has been involved in a number of industries. They weren't Bitcoin, but she also fell in love with Bitcoin, fell, you know, got consumed with the opportunity that we had here and wanted to be a part of it. And I think the best way that I could just sum it up is we have a collection of people that are first and foremost, believers in Bitcoin, not first and foremost, businessmen or women who are trying to make it work in Bitcoin. That belief in the opportunity with Bitcoin drives a lot of us. And it's how we get a collection of people where that is you know, more of the focus on their background instead mm-hmm. of just what their resume reads like. Mm. Yeah. And that to me is is indicative of something in Bitcoin because you know I know a lot of people that have gotten to do things that you know, like they weren't necessarily set up for uh, via the traditional path. So, you know, like Antonopoulos, for example, is an expert witness in various cases and stuff. And that's not the typical way you become an expert witness. Usually they want like a PhD after your name and, you know, they demand certain things. And, you know, certainly he's gotten there because of his expertise in Bitcoin. But like it's not the traditional path and that to me is very very interesting about bitcoin because it does tend to focus a little bit more on merit and not credentials which to me is a, a very good thing would you agree i agree i think it's weird how it manifests itself you know into companies like riot but it's bitcoin it really just doesn't tolerate you know bs from people for, for too long <laughs> we've seen how thing happens people mm-hmm. attempt to involve themselves or influence things in the wrong way. And they just kind of get chewed up and spit out. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're working relative to Bitcoin, you have to be genuine in your commitment. You have to really believe in what's going on. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're just not going to survive. You're not first Mm -hmm. off. I mean, you're not going to survive probably the price volatility, but you're going to get wrapped up in, in some shiny object and, you know, lose focus on what we're trying to accomplish with Bitcoin. So, yeah, I think it it is really so much more what you are able to accomplish because in Bitcoin, that can't be forged like a, a fiat type of world. You actually have to be accomplishing things and that gets noted and that get, that's what gets rewarded. And that seems kind of similar to your previous career as a, as a poker player, because that whole deal is very much about results as well. It's not about credentials at all. In fact, I imagine the characters that are in poker are probably some of the most unorthodox you've ever seen. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you saw in the poker world that made certain poker players successful? 
Yeah, I mean, and you're right. I mean, most, I think most good poker players probably don't have a college degree because similar <laughs> to me, they discovered it around that time and they you know, probably dropped out of college to just play poker. But what I think, you're right. I mean, there's variance in poker. That's a huge part of the game. That's what makes it great. That's what makes losing players think they're winning players for longer than they should. And getting comfortable with that variance and having a skill set such that you withstand those swings that you get in poker means that you can't fake it. You have to actually be good. You have to consistently be making good decisions to survive and be successful as a professional poker player. I think the professional poker players that I know, I think thinking about the skill sets that made them you know, successful from with our crew. And I played with poker. I, I played mm-hmm. poker with Doug Polk and all the guys that kind of made up our crew in poker. I think everyone had a lot of hard work. I mean, mm-hmm. a very strong work ethic. Everyone was putting in hard work all the time, hours all over the place. You know, everyone had the commitment to study and they understood that you had to put in that time to have success. I think there's a lot of you have to really work at being honest with yourself. It's very easy playing poker to chalk things up to bad luck all the time. But mm. you have to, while maintaining the confidence in your abilities, you have to you have to always be looking at how you're playing and reassessing that and you know, being critical. Am I making a mistake here? Is there something I could do better here? You have to always have that self-awareness. Um, and mm. that also plays into the games you pick. You have to have the self-awareness to kind of look at a game engage. Am I going to win in this game? Do I have a positive expected value at these stakes, at this type of game with this collection of players? And it's very easy to just be like, yeah, I'm the best. I'm in. Oh, these guys are trash. I can play and win here. But you have to think about it unless you're the absolute best in the world, which I never was. You have to be making that judgment call all the time. That's important to be successful. And then I think finally, an appetite for calculated risk. And it, mm. I think on that regard, it's a skill set that's a lot different than the human instinct. You have to, mm. one, be willing to take risk that maybe don't feel comfortable, but mathematically pencil out. Risking money on an uncertain outcome, like there, that is not something that I think most humans are innately comfortable with. And once you hit a hurdle, you have to be comfortable with not overextending yourself in that risk. So it's Mm. finding that middle ground that a lot of people have trouble with. So I think most people are conservative and not gamblers. And then if someone develops the appetite for gambling, they are way too hardcore. You know, they'll Mm. take their entire (laughs) bankroll and flip a coin for it. Mm. Extreme example, Mm. but, you know, illustrating. So you have to have the appetite for gamble, but then the control for how you are managing that risk. So, Mm. and I think all the qualities I just described there, I think apply to all sorts of other industries. Anything you get into, you need to have a strong work ethic. You need to have Mm. self-awareness. You need to be an honest critic of yourself. And you need to, I think, have a appetite for risk, but controlled Mm. risk. Hmm. And that sort of explains to me why a lot of poker players did get into Bitcoin fairly early. I've noticed this pattern that, well, you kind of have to be technically minded to, you know, calculate things like expected value and probabilities and game theory, like, you know, which hands are the best to bluff with and so on. And, and being able to find those and, you know, finding the Nash equilibrium on something like these are all things that 
make poker players pretty technical. But at the same time, there's this you know, desire to take or this appetite for taking calculated risk, which certainly Bitcoin was earlier and to some degree to a lot of people is today. Would you say that was like a big driver of like a lot of these poker players kind of getting into Bitcoin? And I mean, do you know poker players that aren't in it? You know, that final question there uh-huh. is a good one. Yeah, I do not know. I think anyone I know from professional poker holds Bitcoin, you know, at least wow. at the levels that I was playing playing at. I, I cannot think of a winning player that I knew of that was like, oh, this is, you know, BS, mm-hmm. I'm not involved with Bitcoin. I, I think everyone holds, you know, there may be some that are focused on maybe Ethereum or other altcoins more than Bitcoin. I'm not saying mm. that you know, all poker players are Bitcoin maximum, <laughs> but I think a lot of poker players are exposed to the space. And you're right. I think having that technical mindset that's necessary to be successful at poker, especially now as the game has mm. become so competitive and there's so many more tools for developing strategies and analyzing play, that it's a type of mind that's capable of looking at poker, capable of looking at Bitcoin, gaming it out, and understanding how it's valuable and understanding what the future is going to look like with Bitcoin. And then I also think that familiarity with risk and volatility helps poker players have good staying power in Bitcoin. It's not unheard of at all in poker to lose 70% of your bankroll or whatever as a result of bad variants you encounter, even if you're playing perfectly. There's just variance mm. in poker and, and you can lose a big portion of your bankroll. So if you come into Bitcoin and all you're doing is holding Bitcoin, that is a swing that you are very comfortable with already. But <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's you know it's often easier to relate with friends from poker, you know, talking about this kind of stuff because you know, I see a 25% down move and the legacy financial world or people newer to Bitcoin maybe have their hair on fire, they're running around, they can't believe it. And it's just like, hey, well, this is life. This is what happens in an unpredictable world when there's a lot of volatility. This is the kind of thing you're going to encounter. And I think a lot of so, you know, conversely, a lot of Bitcoiners develop that just by holding Bitcoin. And that's probably a mm. set that would do well for them in a poker career. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. But there, there does seem to be a pattern there. You mentioned that not every poker player is a Bitcoin maximalist. From what I've observed, most of them are hold multiple, like they're very much into altcoins. And they seem to, you know, I guess, put a probability on, on these altcoins and, you know, having some sort of positive expectation. You know, that to me is a little odd, because at least measured against Bitcoin, you're like, over the long term, that's not a winning play. So why are they so much into altcoins? Yeah, I think part of what you said, I think is how a lot of, you know, we're talking about, it's hard for me to, you know, obviously we're just talking about a group of people here. We're we're generalizing a bit, but yeah, I think some people look at the altcoin market as, hey, you know, I can take this bet here and this coin succeeds, then that's going to be a high payoff. And that's something very similar to what we do in poker all the time. So I think there's some of that. And I, but I, I also think there's a lot of poker players that just see, actually do see long-term viability in projects like Ethereum or I don't even follow altcoins close enough to you know, talk <laughs> about too many others. But you know, they see things you can do with Ethereum that they 
believe provides a lot of big future opportunity that maybe Bitcoin doesn't have. And mm. a lot of times what I'm trying to do is explain that, yeah, okay, Bitcoin, first off, has more capability than I think a lot of people realize. And it is a you know slow and steady wins the race kind of development process here. And I think eventually a lot of these applications that people are interested on are, are going to be, you know, built on Bitcoin eventually anyways, or they are being built, being built on Bitcoin now. So I don't know. Everyone has their different investment thesis. People look at the world differently. You know, I don't, don't really try to argue with people too much about it. I think we can all find common ground with Bitcoin. So that is, <laughs> that is what I drive on. Hmm. Well, so how did you come to your sort of current position, which is mainly focused on Bitcoin? You're obviously leading Riot to, you know, do Bitcoin mining instead of, say, altcoin mining with the GPUs that you did before. What changed for you that, you know, I presume if you bought GPUs, you were mining altcoins. Like what changed for you to focus on Bitcoin instead of the others? Yeah, so I started GPU mining because that was really the only thing that could conceivably make sense. Like I wasn't really mm. interested in the coins that I was mining. Um, <laughs> so I was selling them for Bitcoin. But GPU was like this, the way GPU mining was the way I could get my hands in the game in general. And then I did start buying some ASICs and those were a little difficult to operate in the environment I was operating in. But even through GPU mining, my focus was still only Bitcoin. So uh, with Riot, you know, from the very beginning, Riot was mainly all Bitcoin focused. There was a very small amount of Litecoin miners that came as a kind of a package with a whole purchase of miners. So Riot had just a little bit of Litecoin mining in the past, but everyone in the company got on board with, we only need to focus on Bitcoin. You know, I, I give credit too to our advisory board that talked with us so much and strategized with us to help get that message through. On our advisory board, we have uh, Pierre Richard, Corey Klipsen, and Jan Pritzker. So definitely a collection of Bitcoin bulls. And it's, you know, internally as a company with the advisory board, with our board, with our management team, it wasn't hard to get everyone focused on specifically Bitcoin mining. I mean, it wasn't hard. We had already accepted we were a Bitcoin company, you know, very, very early on in the process. But I think you know, all of us working together, talking about the future of the company is what got us narrowed in on Bitcoin mining. And I really believe that the best thing I had going for me to get me in this position was being a Bitcoin bull, was to be mm. 100% focused on Bitcoin, to have developed this expertise relative to Bitcoin, how it works, and taking programming blockchain from you. you know, <laughs> definitely learned a lot about how Bitcoin worked, you know, through our time together. And mm. I, I think that as the company grew, the board wanted a Bitcoiner to be at the helm here. And that's, you know, in addition to other qualities and attributes that I, I would like to believe I had, that is what positioned me into this role. Yeah, which is a wonderful thing. Like a lot of the CEOs of other places, I remember just like listening in on the mining panel at Bitcoin 2021. And it was clear to me that you knew the most about Bitcoin on that panel. And, you know, like you had uh, Kevin O'Leary on there was talking about like, you know, environmental friendly mining or something like that. But he had no clue about Bitcoin. Like he just liked that the number kept going up and that was his angle on it as sort of like with a very shallow understanding of Bitcoin. Whereas when you were speaking, it was like clear that you knew what you were saying. And 
it makes sense to me that you'd be at the top and not somebody like Kevin O'Leary. So my question to you is like this industry does have a lot of, you know, I guess the traditional CEO types that are maybe coming in, you know, from a top five business school, you know, learn maybe Keynesian economics from their business school. And of course, you know, like are very good at political aspects of getting to be CEO, but aren't necessarily experts in Bitcoin. Like, do you see that as sort of like competitive advantage for Riot versus maybe a lot of your competitors that are maybe focused a little too much on, say, you know, like getting, I don't know, doing the financing part of it or something to that degree? Well, I, I think the financing part, the capital market side of, of running a company mm-hmm. is very important as well. You know what? I, that is not an area that I have years of experience with. So if you you know mm-hmm. put me up against another CEO, like those guys that have that type of experience, that's an advantage that they have over me. So mm-hmm. what I try to do is build a team around me of people that can support in the areas that I don't know, but I believe as a Bitcoin company, my background and expertise in Bitcoin helps you know drive that mission and strategy forward, which is the mm-hmm. ultimate responsibility of the CEO. So mm-hmm. you know, I do think that being a Bitcoin focused company and having expertise in Bitcoin is an advantage. But I also would say that you know this industry is still new. It's not possible to really have several years. There's very few people that have several years experience in Bitcoin mining, just by virtue of how much bigger the industry is now in 2021 compared to five years ago. Not all the people working five years ago, that's not the entire workforce. There's a lot of new, lot of new entrants in the game. And I think that's mm-hmm. great. I think it's great that there are people coming from all sorts of background, seeing Bitcoin, getting interested in Bitcoin and wanting to work in this industry of Bitcoin mining. And they might not have the type of experience in Bitcoin, but they are learning and willing to learn. So, you know, I don't think that having a traditional background as a CEO is a bad thing to run a Bitcoin company. I think if anything, it's a good thing. I just think it's important that being involved in the space, you do have that understanding of how Bitcoin works. Like you don't maybe need to be able to write a Python script that constructs a transaction, but you know, if you at least understand how the components of Bitcoin works, the game theory around Bitcoin. Yeah. I think that's really important to running a successful company, particularly in mining. Mm. Well, so obviously there's a lot of news coming around mining these days, especially with a lot of machines leaving China and things like that. Like how has your business been affected by some of the hash rate craziness that we've seen over the last few months? Man, it's been pretty incredible. You know, for so long when I've talked to people about Bitcoin mining, I've talked about, okay, yeah, there's a bunch of hash rate in China. And that was often a criticism people would use on Bitcoin that, oh, mm-hmm. you know, there's 50 to 70% of hash rate in China. Okay, well, I suppose that's not ideal decentralization. It's not the exact attack vector that many people would hysterics what critics would like to make it out to be, but it's not ideal. And I believed that that was going to smooth out over time because of the lower price energy we were, that was popping up all over the world, particularly in the United States. So Riot's mission, our kind of new messaging that we started coming out with at the end of last year was, 
we were trying to increase the U.S. footprint in Bitcoin mining. And we were trying to do that just by deploying hash rate in the United States. That was it. And mm. with this exodus of mining from China, that has really just catapulted the mission without us necessarily doing everything. I think mm. the estimates a year ago was the United States was probably 5 to 7% of global hash mm. rate. I mm. believe, and actually that might, that might've been all of North America. I might be confusing two figures there. And the recent Cambridge Analytica estimate was as a result of the exodus of hash rate from China, the United States is now 16%. But I think based on the amount of hash rate that's been ordered and is being deployed, that number is going to grow quite a bit. The U.S. is going to have finally a good footprint on the global Bitcoin mining sector. But you know, just as a result of all those miners leaving China, we have obviously seen a huge drop in difficulty. I would stare mm. at that chart of the estimated difficulty. I actually have the block clock that on my desk that cycles through all the mining data and like seeing what the next estimated difficulty adjustment would be. And that number just kept getting bigger. And I just could not believe that we're in the situation where we're going to get where the price of Bitcoin is up 300% over the past 12 months. And we're about to hit a difficulty rate that we last saw 12 months ago, difficulty mm. index. So as a result, mining Bitcoin is great because there's a fixed piece of the pie. We all know Bitcoin has a coin cap of 21 million. And the way that manifests itself in the supply schedule right now is there's approximately 900 Bitcoin that are mined each day. And mm. essentially, the ratio your hash rate is to the global network hash rate is a you know a quick and dirty way to estimate what your expected amount of the pie that, that you're going to get is. And as that pie has shrunk, as 50% of the network hash rate that was located in China is now offline, there's now a bigger piece of the pie up for grabs. So mm. it's an amazing opportunity really to just accumulate more Bitcoin, which is one of the things we're trying to do. We have, we have mining operations, we have hash rate, we're growing that hash rate. And with Chinese miners offline, we are you know able to grow the ratio we are of the global hash rate, you know, quicker than we maybe otherwise would have been able to. So we're seeing it's a great time to have been unaffected by that mining exodus. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> well, so you are getting a lot of equipment, you know, available to you probably because of all the stuff that's going on. But the specific manufacturers that do produce this stuff, they're still in China, no? Like, how is that... How are you sort of mitigating for possibilities there? So a lot of the menu, the, the, at least the final stages of manufacturing do not take place in China because mm. there is that tariff on imported goods from China. So, you know, in the United States, you don't want to pay that 25%. You don't want to make an already expensive miner more expensive. So major manufacturers now have assembly plants outside of China where the final parts of assembly are taking place and that's where those miners are shipped from. And so that helps mm. kind of mitigate that risk a bit. Mm. I think what's gone on with this ban of mining in China has probably opened the eyes to manufacturers and making sure that risk is mitigated as much as possible because who knows what you know the, the next order, the next level of effect that the Chinese government might have if they're really trying to get down on mining. They've already kicked all the miners out. Are they looking to stop people from manufacturing ASICs? Possibly. We'll see what happens there. 
Mm. Well, so what are those like, I guess, your competitors in China that suddenly had this regulatory stuff foisted on them? What have they been? Are they selling the equipment to you? Are they trying to, you know, find other places to deploy their miners? What's going on? I think right now there's a lot. So a lot of supply for miners has been locked up from previous months of ordering. You know, Mm. for instance, right now, in these summer months is receiving miners that it ordered back in like December. So because mm-hmm. there's been so so much competition around Bitcoin mining already over the past 12 months, the game has kind of been, if you want a large supply of miners, you have to order many months out to secure that supply. So mm-hmm. now what's kind of happening is, well, I think there's two things happening. One, I think even outside of China, there has been more mining equipment ordered than there is infrastructure to house that equipment. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I think maybe people... I mean, one thought that that was an easier problem to solve than it than it actually is. I think also worldwide supply chain constraints have made it more challenging to build infrastructure than it normally otherwise would be. So, you know, even without what's going on in China, there is not enough capacity to house the machines that have been ordered. And with mining leaving China, that problem is just further exacerbated. Now, Chinese miners now don't want to send their miners to China. They want to send them elsewhere. So I think the period we're at right now is not too much desperation around machines yet. I don't think Mm -hmm. there's some of it. I don't think everyone is trying to get rid of their machines because they don't know where they're going to put them yet. Everyone is still fighting for capacity right now. Everyone is Mm -hmm. trying to figure out their own capacity plans, whether it's building their own or finding a host. And there's kind of competition around that limited space right now. And as that gets sorted out, we'll see how that affects the hardware market. But I would say, you know, to answer your question, the short answer to your question is, yeah, the access to machines has become easier now than it was three months ago when Bitcoin was Mm 64,000. And that's obviously been good for you and, you know, the entire mining business. So the profitability seems kind of crazy right now because of this, right? You mentioned that the the global hash rate or the Bitcoin difficulty is like the same as it was 12 months ago when the price was a tiny fraction of what it is now. So, you know, that assuming electricity costs have mostly stayed the same, which I think is true, that means that the profitability has probably gone through the roof. Like, shouldn't that attract a lot more people to this industry? (laughs) What's going on? Yeah, it should and it is. I think mm-hmm. mining is really entering an industrial age right now. But I mean, first I'll say what's great about Bitcoin is there's ultimately not a huge barrier to entry if you want to mine. Individuals can still buy miners, mine for themselves. They can use third parties that kind of take that care of that for them to if you know if you want to have a miner running for you someplace but you don't want to do any of it, there's services out there that'll do that. So, as even though Bitcoin, I think, isn't taking off in a huge industrial scale, individuals can still participate in the consensus system, which is fantastic. But so I think that retail market for mining is growing and the industrial side, the large scale side is getting really big. And that's why we're seeing so many more publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies. It is. It seems like every other week now, there's a new announcement. Some company is either you know, doing a SPAC, is doing an IPO, doing a reverse merger, or, you know, cross-listing what their existing listing, listing in Canada or something like that. Everyone is trying to get in the public markets in the United States. And that is causing the industry to go 
grow huge because if you're publicly traded in the United States, you have a pretty efficient access to capital. You know, it depends on the exact, you know, what your company is for ultimately and how it's run your financials and how much liquidity your stock has. But I mean, the short and sweet of it is having a major exchange listed in the United States gives an easier access to capital. So what that means is we have these publicly traded companies that are able to raise capital more efficiently than a lot of their private competitors are able to, and they're able to grow in a really big way. And mm-hmm. so that's why I think, I mean, I always started the year with just a handful of publicly traded companies in the United States and US exchanges and focus on Bitcoin mining. And I think we're going to end the year with, I don't know, 15 or 20. So mining is hitting a real scale because people are, are rushing in at this opportunity. Like, like you said, it is a great time to mine and it's hard to ignore these economics and capital, you know, markets are efficient and capital chases opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, calculated risk indeed. So it does seem like your company's doing well. What are your plans for expansion and so on in the next year? And you know, how do you how do you see this industry sort of moving in terms of you know hash rate? Are you going to see more countries get involved in this? You know, like is it going to go towards the places that have you know easier capital flows and things like that? What do you think is going to happen as we look forward? Yeah. So first and foremost, for Riot over. 12 months now, we have been very aggressively focused on growing our hash rate, buying mm. more miners that were coming up. We entered in our first really large order in August of 2020. And then we've just been following up with there, ordering more and more miners for deliveries. As a result, we are entered into purchase agreements that are estimated to result in Riot having about 4.7 exahash by the end of this year and 7.7 exahash by the end of 2022. So certainly industry leading in that regard, that's a lot of money. That's, you know, we're talking over 80,000 S19s to kind of put that all together there. Incredible a fleet of miners. So as we've been doing that though, we had also were focused on the future of Riot and that is the infrastructure that was going to host those miners. Mm. And that's what led us to the acquisition of Winstone, uh, Winstone US, a very large Bitcoin mining facility in Texas that we acquired. Uh, we closed that transaction on May 26th of this year. So pretty new. Winstone is the largest Bitcoin mining facility, single facility in North America. has about 300 megawatts of developed infrastructure already and the ability to expand to 750. So as far as we're aware, there's no other site in North America that has 300 megawatts of Bitcoin mining capacity. So what we are now focused on, because you know we were talking about a bit earlier how capacity is in such short supply in the industry. The start of the year it was hash rate, and you know hash rate is still kind of in short supply. Miners are a lot more expensive now than they were 12 months ago, but capacity I think is the bigger challenge a lot of players are having. So our focus right now is building infrastructure. We're taking that 300 megawatts that's already built at Winstone, and we're adding on an additional 400 megawatts. That's four different buildings totaling about 240,000 square feet that we have under construction. We've started development of, and we expect all four of those buildings will be completed by the end of the second quarter next year. The first Mm -hmm. couple being ready months before that. So that is our focus right now. We want to build out capacity to one, hold our own miners 
house our own miners that we have ordered and take advantage of the very low cost of energy that they have there. And then we're also evaluating the hosting market as well. We have the optionality to use that capacity for either additional self-mining. We could go procure more hash rate, or we could choose a more capital light approach and host miners for third parties who who have hash rate and, and need capacity. The economics have the potential to be uh, pretty attractive there for the host. Mm. So I think as far as industry trends, I think we are seeing a lot of mining come to Texas. And I think there's Mm. a few reasons. One, Texas is a very business-friendly state, any business at all. Two, ERCOT ERCOT is the energy market in Texas, and it is a Mm. deregulated market. And that has driven low energy prices and has created an ideal environment to build generation sources and be a large off-taker of energy like Bitcoin mining. There are very, very competitive energy costs there that can be achieved in Texas with different power strategies that I think are you know, competitive with what you'll see all over the world, even in the you know, most ideal regions of China. Texas can be very competitive with Chinese energy, even though mining is gone now, the prices that a lot of miners were getting there, I think ERCOT in Texas can be very competitive with. And I think finally, Texas is very welcoming to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. You have Governor Mm -hmm. Abbott, the governor of the state saying, we want Texas to be a Bitcoin mining mecca. And then after you see what's happened in China, that is a very top of mind risk that miners have, regulatory risk. It's a lot of capital that you have to deploy to build a mining operation. And you want to deploy that in some place that you believe has decades of opportunity in it. So mm. those three reasons combined business friendly, low energy cost and Bitcoin mining friendly, I think is Texas has become is going to be the mecca for Bitcoin mining. You know, we talk about the U.S. footprint for Bitcoin mining, you know, going over 20 percent and going over 25 percent. I can see a big portion of that being in Texas for those reasons. Mm. And how does that affect the Texas economy? I'm curious, like, you're obviously, you know, buying a lot of land and buildings and infrastructure and energy and power. Like, how does that help Texas, I guess, for those of us that live here? (laughs) Two major things. First, Mm. Bitcoin miners help stabilize that energy grid. ERCOT has a lot of renewable generation that makes up that grid. There's a lot of wind and solar that are intermittent sources of energy. And Bitcoin miners, being the buyers of energy of last resort, help stabilize that grid by buying that energy when it is in low demand and then having Mm -hmm. the flexibility to not buy it or even sell it back when there is high demand. Loads Mm -hmm. like Bitcoin miners help stabilize that energy grid and make it better for all you know, residential and commercial applications of energy in that market. And finally, I do think Bitcoin mining is a great job creator. And it's a great job driver in areas that really need it the most. Bitcoin miners are agnostic to their location. They're really just going after cheap power. You don't need, you know, some super, super fast internet connection very close to a metropolitan to make Bitcoin mining viable. I mean, don't get me wrong, you need a good network connection, but you don't have that same type of location requirement that a lot of traditional data centers might have. So Bitcoin miners are just out there finding the cheapest energy. And where that cheapest energy is, is where it's in surplus. And where it's in surplus is when there's not a lot of people buying it. So you kind of find it 
in these more remote areas in Texas. Mm. So Bitcoin miners like Winston have come into areas like Rockdale, Texas, and are really creating a lot of jobs. Winstone is the largest employer in Harris County where that facility is located. And what's great is it's not like it's requiring all these high-tech people to come out you know, from San Francisco or whatever to come make the business work. Bitcoin mining is using kind of traditional sources of labor, hands-on sources of labor, construction work, electrical engineers, Individuals that have skill set from other industries can now find themselves into Bitcoin. And it's really cool because you don't need that Bitcoin expertise to make that work. That is not a hurdle. Winstone needs guys who are good at construction, good at electrical engineering, good at all the other type of services that need to build that up to make it work. You know, the Bitcoin mm-hmm. mining part is what we bring in. And it's a way to expose these communities, individuals that maybe hadn't gotten too familiar with Bitcoin yet don't know too much about Bitcoin, they're involved just because they started working on it from this from this you know hands-on development perspective. So it's super cool to see. It's super cool to go out there and you meet these guys who have been doing amazing work for many years in other applications. And now they're involved in Bitcoin mining and they love what they're a part of. They love that they're building this infrastructure for Bitcoin and they're doing it in Texas. So I think it's a really good job creator for Texas and it's really going to help the state position itself in this industry. Uh, that's as good an endorsement uh, for politicians that are looking to bring jobs into their you know communities and stuff, especially what you said about you know the poor communities. The energy tends to be cheap where you know, people aren't really using it. So those places tend to be fairly poor and not have it. And it's like a boon for economic development in that area, because you're naturally getting a lot of people, you know, it's not necessarily skilled labor. It's, you know, a lot of, you know, pouring foundations and, you know, building stuff up, stuff that, you know, that are more trade related and not specialized or require a PhD to do. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I forgot to mention where Winstone Uh, is. Winstone is on the site of a former Alcoa aluminum smelting plant that went out mm. of business over 10 years ago. And that that plant employed thousands of people. The whole town was basically driven around this industry. And when that industry left, because I mean, I, I don't even know the specific reasons. I think China started outcompeting a lot of US firms with aluminum mm. smelting, but these individuals that worked there were just kind of left behind. And mm. that was a that had a decimating effect on this town. And Bitcoin mining is the type of industry that can come in and then give those jobs back, give those people employment opportunities. And that's been really great to see a community like that reinvigorated by a force like Bitcoin mining. Mm, That's truly awesome. All right. Well, where can people find you and where can people learn more about Riot? Yeah. So main place people can find me is on Twitter at Jason Less underscore be very cautious of imposters there. They are getting quite good. I had a Twitter account, try to be me not too long ago, where they like they had an account with the same number of followers and they just copied all my information and it looked pretty similar. So mm. definitely do not try to do business with me on Twitter ever, but you can certainly follow me and you can follow the stuff that I'm sharing or talking about. And as far as Riot goes, website is riotblockchain.com. We also have a Twitter, Riot Blockchain. We try to be very transparent with everything that's going on, keeping everyone up to date with our development. The Winstone team, search for Winstone US on LinkedIn or 
the CEO of Winstone, Chad Harris, post a lot of videos on Twitter of the construction that's going on. So great resource if you're looking to kind of see what is building out there. And we're working on more media to showcase what we're doing. So certainly best way to keep tabs on that is to follow me on Twitter. All right. Well, that was an hour that went by way too fast. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Jimmy. Unchained Capital is a new sponsor of this podcast. I joined Unchained as an advisor for the engineering side. I know the team well, and I'm excited about what they're doing. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at Unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Jason Les can be found at at Jason Les underscore on Twitter and riotblockchain.com. Until next time, fiat the lenda est.